You are listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 59. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hi there. I hope you're having a great week. Are you a tea drinker? Where do the herbs in your cup come from? Were they grown in a loving, caring, and sustainable way? Do you know why these are actually some important questions to ask? My today's guest has been thinking about these issues for quite some time now, and she is trying to learn how to support the right people and communities and educate consumers about sustainability of herbs. Her name is Dr. Anne Embracht. Anne is a writer and an anthropologist whose work explores the relationship between humans and the earth most recently through her work with plants and plant medicine. Anne is a co-producer of the documentary Newman, The Nature of Plants, and the author of the award-winning ethnographic memoir, Thin Places, A Pilgrimage Home, based on her research in Nepal. Anne is a student of herbal medicine and was a 2017 Fulbright Narrow Scholar documenting the supply chain of medicinal plants in India. She's currently completing a book, From Seed to Bottle, following herbs through the supply chain and a visiting scholar in the Department of Anthropology at Dartmouth College. By the end of today's episode, you'll understand why it's so important to know where your herbal medicine comes from and how to support the right communities on their journeys for a better, more sustainable world. As always, you can find links and additional information mentioned in this episode in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 59. Enjoy. Hello, Anne. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited. Um, the last time we saw each other, I think I mentioned to you, you were doing a lecture for my students. And originally, I first learned about you and your passion for herbal medicine during one of the Women Herbal Conferences uh, organized by Rosemary Gladstar. And so it was very exciting because everyone was getting your documentary, The Newman, and I remember buying it and showing it to my class. And that was my first introduction to your world. And so I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about that, about your journey, how you became an anthropologist, how your interest uh, began, and uh, how you decided to explore the relationship between humans and earth, and why did this path take you to plant medicine? Okay, well, first, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. It's great to see you. Likewise. Um, now, where do I begin? <laughs> So when I was graduating from college, I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I ended up in the Himalayas in Nepal, working um, actually in Tibetan refugee communities. And 
that led me, and I ended up doing research on the resettlement of Tibetans in Nepal, which made me interested in knowing how I would have done that if I knew what I was doing, because I was an English major, Mm -hmm. and I studied anthropology. And so that led me to graduate school in anthropology. Um, But I never wanted to be an academic anthropologist. I was always interested just in understanding anthropology as a framework for understanding um, our relationship at that time with the earth. I've always loved the out of doors. So, and so as I was in graduate school, figuring out what to do my research on, um, I ended up doing research in Northeastern Nepal on a biosphere reserve, looking at the relationship between the villagers and the land. And my research unfolded in particular ways. It had nothing to do with herbal medicinal plants or ethnobotany. It was a legal study of the history of land rights in this area because I realized that how people feel about the land, it also depends on how who owns the land um, and the politics and economics as much as the cultural values, um, which is relevant because it's kind of my current project. Mm-hmm. I came back from Nepal and was lost and disoriented and writing up a doctorate at Harvard, which is not the most spiritual heart-centered place. Mm-hmm. And I met Deb Sewell, a herbalist who owns Avena Botanicals. And through Deb, I ended up at the Women's Herb Conference years ago, um, 1998. And that, and I was so moved, like so many people are, by the way um, Rosemary especially, but most almost everyone there spoke about plants, um, the wholeness of plants and the sense of more, it's more than a collection of chemicals, you know, the spiritual connection that it's both, it's a a physical object, but it's also something living and alive. Um, And I found a lot of the values that I really appreciated in Nepal Mm -hmm. in herbal medicine. Um, and so that led me to study, want to study more. And so I took Rosemary's Apprentice course. Tell us a little bit about uh, Newman, the documentary. Was that the first documentary about the plants? Yeah, so so I studied, I did the Apprentice course. And at first I thought, oh, I want to be an herbalist. Forget anthropology. And um, so I did the Apprentice course and then I signed up for the Advanced course. And the Advanced course started to feel a little bit too much like graduate school for me, and I was not good at remembering the details and the specifics about what plants could be used for what conditions. And I found I would sneak out and go for walks in the woods more than I would do my homework. Mm-hmm. But I was really interested in more the, the those bigger pictures. I said the bigger picture about herbs as a framework for changing the world, you know, the ways that Rosemary and others talk about. Mm-hmm bigger vision. And so I wanted to do something with that. And as I also learned more about herbal medicine, I saw that people who went to conferences and courses saw that whole vision, the art and the philosophy of herbal medicine. But for most people, it was a product on the shelf. And so I really wanted to do something to celebrate the the values at the heart of traditional Western herbalism. And so Rosemary I first gave me a small grant to do a research project on the United Plant Savers and the early days of founding that organization. And as I was writing up the interviews for that project, I thought, oh, this would be much better to tell these stories 
to let the herbalists tell the story themselves and to let the plants speak for themselves. And so I'm not a filmmaker, but my husband's a filmmaker. So I said, oh, let's make a film. <laughs> and, and so that was Newman. Um, tell us what Newman means. Newman is that it's a Latin word meaning the animating force in nature. So it's that invisible something that we all can feel, but we can't see. That's great. Thank you. And so the documentary became a, a compilation of interviews that told the whole story about plants, about the earth, about where we are today with herbal medicine. How did this evolve and brought you to your next endeavor? Tiarona Lodog came to Sage Mountain during the advanced course, and she was the one person who spoke about the herb industry. And she talked about, you know, most of us have no idea where these plants come from and that she had visited these um, production centers in Albania. And so that kind of planted a seed in my mind about, huh, that there's an herb industry out there. Mm -hmm. And so as we were doing Newman, we thought we needed to include something on the business of herbs. And so we visited traditional medicinals, herb farm, and new chapter. Um, and included a short segment in the original version of Newman about the business of herbs. And Hirona Lodog was talking about um, the point she made. But the film was too long. The first version of the film was too long, and it was too unwieldy. And the topic of the herb industry was is far more complex than for a 10- or 15-minute segment in a larger film. So we took that out during the revision, and then... That seed was in my mind, and again, I had the idea of writing a book around following herbs through the supply chain. Um, and then that, again, like Newman, sort of more, has morphed into a different project, um, again, because I feel like there's a pressing need to communicate these stories um, in written word, but also in video and photos, because uh, that allows a more direct experience and encounter with the information. Okay, great. Thank you. We produced Newman and then I traveled around and was showing the film to community groups and conferences. And what I found is that outside of the herb community, people would think about growing, growing their own food or buying food from a farmer's market, but they would not consider buying tinctures from a farmer's market or definitely not growing herbs that they would then use to make medicine themselves. It was, it felt like a very different thing, um, making medicine and making food. And so that struck me from the beginning. I thought, huh, why do we have a local food movement and a sustainable food movement? But people aren't asking these questions about plant medicine, which is the same as food in that it's growing and yet we're taking it as medicine. So it's often in more concentrated form. And so we really should be concerned about what's in that and what isn't in that plant medicine. This brought you to Sustainable Herbs Project. So I wanted to ask you, do you think that the majority of people know where herbs actually come from? And why do you think they should care about this question? So no, I don't think most people, consumers really think about it. There is an assumption that, and this is a generalization, but an assumption 
by and large, that if it's made from a plant, it is somehow better than, you know, someone who's choosing a natural product. The fact that it's natural is the um, certification they need. And so I was in a store in Rishikesh, and they were in India, and they were selling certified honey. And actually, honey is adulterated quite a bit in India. It's watered down, or it's something else altogether. And so I asked the woman, the storekeeper, what certify, who certified it? And she said, nature. And I was like, oh, is nature a certifying body? And uh, she said, no, like nature is the natural world. And given the state of the world, nature as a certifying body isn't enough. And so people should be concerned for lots of reasons. Um, because the quality of any product that you take is directly connected to how it is handled at each step along the supply chain. Um, on a most basic level, whether the constituents that you are taking that medicine for, whether they're in there or not, it depends on how the plant was either grown or harvested, if it's wild collected, if it's harvested at the right time, if it's dried in the correct way, how it's handled and stored. You know, if it's stored and the temperature is fluctuating, then that impacts the constituents. Um, so you want, so in terms of the quality of the chemical constituents, you want people to be paying attention. You want to know where it's from. Also, you want to know whether they're, it's grown in soils with heavy metals or in by the side of a road near industrial sites or that just the environmental conditions of how things are grown. When you're talking about um, different concerns that you address in your work, whether it is certifying herbal products, and I, I really uh, appreciate that you compare uh, how the food is made and grown uh, and how herbal uh, medicines uh, come to us and that the tinctures, why people would or would not buy tinctures and different herbal products that are sold on the farmer's market. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about this. So there are a number of different uh, concerns that came up in your work. So one of this is how these things are made, how they are processed, what is the quality control. But then the bigger side of it that you addressed a little bit earlier is what are some of the supply chains? Is it that we are looking at the small uh, growers or small farmers that herbal farmers that are actually um, growing these plants and then they're bringing them to the market or your uh, looking at uh, farmers that contribute to a larger company. And I wanted uh, to pick your brain a little bit on that. Yeah, so I was just at the American Herbalist Guild Symposium, and that was exactly what the panel I organized was talking about, was the difference between networks where herbal farmers in the U.S. are growing or farmers are growing medicinal plants that then they are selling directly to herbalists, um, which is one supply chain. And then the other is when those farmers are trying to sell to wholesale companies um, that then sell bulk herbs on a national scale or international scale. And those are, I think, the, then the conversation there was really about those are two separate supply chains, I think, because of the pressure on price. Um, so much of the 
international supply chain, especially in the U.S., is all about what can be the cheapest. And so national or, you know, national suppliers, even with really high quality control standards and certified organic herbs, they're competing on the market with this price point that is much lower than a grower in the U.S., say, could 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 do and survive. They couldn't grow herbs. Um, the price point is just, you know, like $25 for a pound of calendula versus $18 for a pound of calendula, which is breaking even or going under for a lot of these farmers. And so I feel like for the herb farmers to survive, there needs to be a real building of those networks and supporting them from the herb community and from practitioners and from students who students and teachers who can help link those regional networks in the way like there's regional food networks, Um, which is not to say that the international, you know, there's international supply chains and those are just a different scale. And it feels like when they, I feel like when they're trying to mix, it doesn't work for anyone. Very interesting. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know yeah. if that's clear. But. No, no, I think it makes sense. So I wanted to bring you back to a couple of different things. So I remember you were giving examples in one of the talks about um, how herbs are processed, like, for example, how they're dried in some of the more populated areas, like whether it is in India or you were talking once again about Albania and a few other examples. And I wanted you to, to talk a little bit more about lessons that you have learned from your travels. So perhaps tell us a few stories of what you have seen. Um, and the reason why I'm talking about it is because I think for a lot of herbalist and herbal students here in the United States, we always think about these small, uh, pristine herbal farms where the quality is incredibly high. And uh, there are other places in the world where I'm sure that uh, a lot of effort and a lot of uh, heart and a lot of energy uh, goes into growing these plants. But but I want you to talk a little bit about like where some of the issues and where some of the problems can sometimes come up. Um, so do you want me to tell you good stories or bad stories? Tell, tell us both. <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to know where to begin. Um, and part of it is the level of disconnection that a lot of us have from industrial production, mm-hmm. So, which is a surprise. So then when you see or when I see tons of herbs being processed in a what's called a scorpion you know it's a little shocking or picked up with a pitchfork and you know haul dumped into a drying room um but that all might be fine it might be handled and really really well it's just a scale of mechanization that's a surprise for mm-hmm. many of us who are disconnected from that so that's one thing is our own disconnection from what it takes really mm-hmm. um and then within that i mean the stories and and people in the urban industry don't really like to talk about the stories of what they find in in herbs that are imported from around the world you know mm-hmm from newspaper bits to cigarette butts to feces to cat hair mm-hmm. to rat, you know, um, that's in the food 
industry. It's in every industry on a large scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. I, you know, I didn't see that. I didn't see what I would see. Um, a, a trading company in the UK, they have a collection of metal bits that they've had to remove from bags of bulk herbs that are shipped in because, you know, things have fallen off of old machinery um, and people aren't paying attention. And so they're, you know, what a company like that company would have is four stages along the supply chain where it goes through metal detection. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are all sorts of quality control steps to catch these things. But if there's no quality control steps, then these things aren't getting caught. Um, so I visited, especially in India, just warehouses with piles of browning herbs, um, dry, brownish in a dim building warehouse with easily open to the outside. So all sorts of rodents could come in and out. Um, and, and then those, he would sell those herbs. He was just a trader. He would buy them from farmers who would grow them in their fields. Um, it's all conventional. So there's no certified organic, um, in this particular case. And then he would sell them all onto someone else. Um, he would just be handling them. And so, and the warehouse was, you know, spider webs hanging from the top, you know, the mildew and mold, who knows what was in those piles of herbs um, that maybe once were dried correctly, but then in storage would get moist again. So those are some of the bad examples. Um, some other manufacturing facilities I saw in India where, and this was Ayurvedic me- medicine mm-hmm. where it would, it, it boils in an open container and then there would be pipes running overhead, um, you know, with years of grime on the pipes. So, you know, who knows what's dropping into these open vats. Mm-hmm. Um, or another thing I was in the, um, this big center of wholesale trading in Delhi, in old Delhi and sitting there talking to some traders and I felt something nibbling my toe. Oh gosh. <laughs> and this is where all the herbs, the bulk herbs are bought and sold. Um, and they all said, Oh, don't worry. It won't hurt you. <laughs> okay. Um, so those are that, but, but then one, but then I visited a lot of companies, you know, I was, I started by visiting Fairwild certified companies because it's really hard to allow companies for companies to be willing to let you see behind the scenes because mm-hmm. overall the herb industry is not very transparent. It's okay. changing mm-hmm. and it's changing because of the real hard work of, you know, a handful of people who are insisting that transparency is important and it's changing because of certification mm-hmm. um, because certification re- requires a paper trail among other things. But so I was allowed to visit these Fairwild companies. And so these are companies that have already been selected as being, having the capacity to meet European or Western quality control standards. So they're already going to be doing things, paying attention more. Um and and what struck me at those companies is that it's not just about the herbs it's about the it's it's actually even less about the herbs and it's more about the people mm-hmm. and and 
it helped. So I started this project with a simple idea of making visible the people behind the products we consume. Like, mm-hmm. where are these from? So it's not just a product on the shelf, but there are people doing the work and places from which these are from. And and just the belief that, you know, we're talking about whole plant medicine. And so that's a whole supply chain, too. You need to take the whole thing into account. But I didn't really know, okay, what difference does that make? Um, and it makes difference a difference I saw in quality control kinds of things. But also then when I came back to the U.S., I was shopping in our local food co-op. And um, I don't typically buy boxed tea, but I was walking down the tea aisle and I saw traditional medicinal gypsy cold care tea was for sale. Mm-hmm. And it said Fairwild certified. And so I thought, huh, I wonder how they describe it on the box. And so I took it off and I was reading the language on the box about these grow these harvest wild collectors from Poland, eastern Poland, um, and talking about the meadows and the fields. And I realized that I had probably met the collector who had harvested the plant in this box. The, mm-hmm. the I think it was elderflowers, or um, which was, I think was the first time in my life, and then product that's been shipped internationally that I actually could trace it back and imagine the steps. And there was this part of me that like relaxed, you know, the part that I always feel slightly on the defensive when I'm shopping about, oh my God, what's, what horrible things am I causing with this purchase? Suddenly that could relax and it felt differently. And I could feel like, oh, my money actually is supporting the efforts of all these people that I met along the supply chain. And that felt really good. And so I also thought, you know, there is this harder harder to talk about um, quality value to knowing where where these plants come from um, that isn't talked about as much but feels also really important um, especially because when I think a lot of people and I know I, I originally came to herbal medicine because it was a way of reconnecting with the natural world mm-hmm. and so this felt like a continuation of that reconnection that feels really important to me. Yes. So, Thank you. Yeah. I recently read one of your posts about herbal companies that uh, you would recommend and why this is a wrong question. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that um, because everything that you're describing kind of brings up a question. So what do we do? And uh, what does an average consumer do? So I wanted to see if you have any good recommendations for us. I think there are different things you can do depending on your energy level. Mm -hmm. And I was just recently talking with Joseph Brinkman of Traditional Medicinals, who has done more for improving the quality and supply chain in uh, probably than anyone else in the herb industry. And he said when he was talking to people in herb companies who are wanting, this was not consumers, but they're sourcing plants from Mm -hmm. the international market. And he said, people always ask him, what can I do? And he said, do something. He said, start somewhere, pick one plant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if a company is sourcing 100 plants, pick one plant and then start to pay attention and notice and see in this case, again, it's not a consumer, but in this case, see what needs to be done in the community where you're sourcing that plant and then do it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, you know, part of 
what I think people, we all are taking herbal medicine for is there's this empowering experience. I mean, for herb students, right? You learn to make your own medicine mm-hmm. and and that can be for profound. So I might be naive to think this, but I think by digging in a little bit and finding out more about one plant or product, um, it might take more time, but mm-hmm. that that experience is beginning to reconnect you with where things come from, which I think would can potentially bring about that experience that I had with the gypsy cold care tea, mm-hmm. um, where I knew that man and I had this sense of connection. Um, so that's if you have more time. For less time, um, find certified organic mm-hmm. is, the, you know, certified organic is not perfect. And there is an important movement now for around regenerative agriculture, which goes beyond, you know, which is like the original organic, tending the soil and all of that. Um, and that's really important. But even buying organic, certified organic, you're supporting um one particular supply chain that um, has all sorts of benefits there. Mm-hmm. As I said before, there's a transparent supply chain. There's You're not adding pesticides um, to the soil or fertilizers. Um, people are being cared for or fair trade. You know, those certifications, everybody I spoke with who work for companies who have to go be certified and then be recertified, said those certifications mean something. Mm -hmm. They're not perfect, but they mean something. Um, And I was talking to Tom Newmark, who had been the co-director of New Chapter and has now started Carbon Underground. And he was saying, you know, the organic movement started in the 1920s and now less than 1% of farming in the U.S. and globally is certified organic. Mm. And so there's a lot of room for improvement there. You know, a lot more people can buy organic. and um, Or a woman I spoke with who um, imports, sources herbs for a big trader. So um, the company she works for would buy, you know, tons of herbs and then they're powdered and they're then sold to a lot of finished product companies that are what we then purchase mm-hmm. um, in in powdered extract. And she said her customers just aren't really asking for certified organic. And they're not asking because their customers aren't asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that if you're taking medicine, herbs for your own health, it makes no sense to me that you choose something that causes illness along the way, either for those in the supply chain, it's bad for the soil, or you're taking it in concentrated form. And as somebody I spoke with said, it's like taking non drinking non certified organic tea is like tea steeped in pesticides. Mm-hmm. So those are some things to do. Ask questions. You know, everybody I spoke with um, said if companies listen to consumers, if you have a question or a concern, mm-hmm. let them know. Something like. Um, vegetable glycerin, I just learned this, is from palm oil, and it's really hard to find sustainably sourced palm oil. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are all sorts of invisible things in herbal products that we don't see. Um, the, 
the menstruum is a big one. What is used to extract mm-hmm. the plants? Um, it's hard to get information. Ask. Ask the company. Let them know you're paying attention. That's um, that's a great a great recommendation. So one thing that uh, you brought up just a few minutes back is the the concept of sustainability. Um, so once again, um, there was something that I was reading in one of your blogs about people that really think about the issues of sustainability and quality um, are very cautious about taking herbs in large amounts or taking uh, herbs unnecessarily, uh, cautioning the rest of us to be a lot more mindful about how much we actually consume. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, that's a really good question. At So at the American Herbalist Guild Symposium panel um, that I mentioned before, a lot of the conversation um, that we had with the audience was around how herbalists can take information about the supply chain um, and let it change how they either teach or practice. And there were a number of herbalists on the panel and in the audience from Asheville, North Carolina, and they talked about how 30 years ago when they moved there, there was a small herb population, you know, herbalist population. Mm-hmm. And they talked about the stands of wild plants around there. And now there's a much larger population and they're all going to wild collect from the same places. And those populations can't sustain that mm-hmm. level of increased um, harvesting by the growing population of herbalists. And this is just herbalists. This isn't people outside the herb community who are buying herbs from, you know, Whole Foods mm-hmm. or stores like that, um, that, they were talking about um, someone mentioned he always thought there were large black cohosh stands around Asheville until he went up to the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia where there's not a strong herb community. And mm-hmm. it was an entirely different experience. There were just the population was so much larger. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we're a lot of people on this earth and we don't always necessarily need to ingest herbs to get their medicine. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the conversation was then around teachers thinking of creatively about different ways to share with their students um, how to make, how to experience the medicine of a plant by sitting with the plant or spending more, t- more time in nature um, under the herb teacher section of the Sustainable Herbs Project website, I I described some ideas I've had about how we can think about this differently. Um, a lot of herb teachers now, the, the ones that we've all learned from, learned about herbal medicine in a time when there, there weren't, it wasn't nearly as popular. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't have to be as mindful in the same way. But now we're all in this sort of Instagram culture where everybody can post something and then everybody thinks, oh, that's a cool herb. I'm going to go harvest it. Um, and so to really think, do I need this herb before you take it? Um, Thank you. And, that, yep, go ahead. Well, and so that's on a, an herbalist practitioner level. Mm-hmm. But then on a on a larger, you know, Whole Foods herbal consumer level, um, again, it's also thinking, do I really need this plant? You know, buying less high, buying less of a product and spending that the money that you do have on higher quality products, um, that would be a good start. You know, as Ed Fletcher, 
who he lives in North Carolina, has been involved in the industry for years. He says, you know, buy cheap underwear, don't buy cheap herbs. Mm-hmm. That so. that that's a good that's a good reminder. Um, so it's it's interesting that you speak to different audiences and different groups. And so when I was exploring your website, I saw that there were four different distinct uh, populations. So you talk to consumers and give suggestions. You give suggestions to herbalists that actually use herbs. Also teachers who are trying to educate the new uh, wave of herbalists and also companies. And so I want to, first of all, I want to, to thank you that you're thinking uh broadly and you're thinking about, you know, holistically about this, yeah. who would be able to produce the most change if they listen yeah. to the words that you're saying? Recently, um, I've Sustainable Herbs Project is now a program that's jointly being done with the American Botanical Council. Mm-hmm. And what that allows, what that makes possible is the chance to reach the companies in a more direct and meaningful way than I ever could on my own. Mm-hmm. On my own, the project, I think, could reach consumers and the herb community. But the herb community and the herb small herb companies, they don't need me to tell them about sustainability. I'm sharing what they've told me. They're mm-hmm. the experts. But it's these much larger dietary supplement companies who are you know, handling much larger quantities of herbs who can have a bigger impact. And so that's um, what I'm thinking about now is developing the educational resources to work with companies who are interested in moving toward more sustainable practices in sourcing and in manufacturing and in just overall corporate practices. Um, And so that's sharing stories of companies who have done this already and paved the way and helping create linkages between, you know, so that people have the resources they need. And there's actually a lot of movement in that direction right now um, that's encouraging. It is It is very encouraging and very inspiring. And I think that the fact that you were able or are able to uh, merge your for- forces with American Botanical Council is a, is a huge win and it's a, it's a huge step forward. And I was going to ask you about the future of this project, but you, you are sharing it with us and I'm very excited. Congratulations. So as we're coming to an end of this interview, I have two more questions for you. So one of them is how can someone learn more about you and from you? So what is your home on internet, any of the social media? And then the last one will be, do you have parting thoughts of wisdom for our audience? Perhaps something that they can leave this episode with thinking, I can do this. Where they can learn more, which is easier answer. Um, the website is sustainableherbsproject.com. Um, and the heart of that, the website is really the videos, um, the content, the written content there kind of supports that. But the videos, in the videos, there are people whose lives have been dedicated to it, doing this work and they're speaking about what they've learned. Um, so I encourage people to watch those. Um, you know, some like there's one, the relationships through the supply chain, which follows um, Ben Heron and Sebastian Pohl of Pucka Herbs as they're interacting with the farmers that they work with in South India. So it's a real inside look at what goes on 
um, in terms of what people can do to move forward, I think really thinking broadly about health and healing. You know, I started this project with a quotation by Kenny Osabel, we can't be well until the planet is well. And I was drawn to herbal medicine because it seemed like that's that's what it's all about, mm-hmm. this holistic view that we can't poison our, you know, the land just across our border if we don't want our own land poisoned. Um, so it's more a conceptual shift mm-hmm. than a, an action step, but um, just seeing the ways that everything is connected and that our actions, that less maybe it's always more often I, more i love that i love that reminder go outside sit with a plant but, yes you know. that that's always that's always a good one and thank you so very much thank you for your time thank you for the wisdom and thank you for all the work that you're doing it's so inspiring and so encouraging thank you thank you so much i really appreciate the chance to speak with you and think about these ideas thank you Thank you for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Anne Ambrecht. You can find all the links mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 59. Please subscribe to the show to get the future episodes automatically downloaded on your device. This episode was proudly brought to you by Herb Mentor. Herb Mentor is a service provided by an innovative herbal education company, LearningHerbs.com. Some people use Herb Mentor as a personal herbal home study program, while others explore a variety of features it has to offer or utilize it along with other herbal programs or studies. At the same time, there is a large group of individuals that utilize this forum to connect with other curious people about plants and plant medicine. Head over to the show notes and check out Herb Mentor link and begin or continue your journey in the world of plant medicine. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Mm-hmm.